So far in our series, Love Lessons, we have seen the source of love, that is God. God is love. We've also seen the standard of love, that we are to love one another, and we've seen the symbol of love, the cross of Jesus Christ. And last week, we learned that love is a verb, it's an action word, that you and I make a decision or a choice to love. And when we do that, love is expressive, love is expensive, and love is also extensive. But I want to start today with two probing questions. The first question that I want you to write down and think about is this. Do you love yourself? Do you love yourself? The second question is this. Should you love yourself? Do you love yourself and should you love yourself? Because today, as we come to a very famous passage, we're going to see what Jesus had to say about this topic. And this passage is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And it's where the religious leaders come to try to trip Jesus up, and they challenge him with this question, which is the greatest command? And we know the answer because most of us have read this passage before. Jesus says we've got to love God and we've got to love people, right? I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that. And yet hidden in there is a third group of people that we're called to love, and that is ourselves, because we are called to love others as we love ourselves. And for many of us, that is an incredible challenge because we don't really know what does that really mean for me to love myself. It's one of the greatest challenges that we have. But you see, here's the reality. To the degree that you learn in a healthy biblical way to love yourself will be to the degree that you love God and you love the other people in your life. The greatest limiting factor on our love for God and others really comes down to how we see ourselves and how we treat ourselves and how we talk to ourselves. And so you may not have heard a sermon on the forgotten message Love yourself. But that's what we're going to talk about today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with this reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important command in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus didn't just tell us to love God and to love people. He qualified that with how we're to do it. And he says, when it comes to God, we're to love him with everything that we have. We're to love him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, with all of our strength. He is to be the number one in our life. When it comes to people, we're to love them as we love ourselves. But what does that really mean? Well, Paul picks up on this 
as he challenges husbands when it comes to marriage in Ephesians 5.28. And he says, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. Now there are people today that will argue with that. But you see, here's what Scripture is teaching us. That we are to love other people the same way, in a healthy biblical way, that we love ourselves. The same way that you take care of yourself is the way that you need to take care of other people. And there are people who will say, but doesn't the Bible say that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and and follow Jesus? That those who love their life will lose their life? But see, for most of us, we, we misunderstand what it really looks like to love ourselves. And so I want to start, number one, with the cause for loving yourself. What is the cause? Why should you love yourself? And the first thing that Scripture talks about is you and I are created in the image of God. The very first thing that God says about mankind, let us make man in our image. It's his first statement about us. Have you ever stopped to consider that you are the image bearer of God on this planet? It's the reason why you and I should go ahead and not only love ourselves, but why we should love the other people around us. Because as you look at other people, they're stamped with the image of God. They're bearing his image. You see, your whole purpose for loving yourself, for having value, for having worth, comes from the fact that you were created in God's image. That's what gives you value and worth. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't make junk. You are not a mistake. You're a masterpiece. Stamped with the very image of God. The second reason is that you and I are loved by God. Now, how do we know that we're loved by God? Well, we've got this love letter. Can I ask you, have you read it lately? Isn't it amazing how we get in these times in our life where we don't feel loved by God, and we're like, man, God, I just don't feel loved by you. And he's like, man, I got this letter I wrote you. You just don't read it. Sitting on the shelf week after week, you bring it to church, you dust it off, but you never really get in there and really absorb what I have to say about you. One of the things that, that God tells us in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. You see, sin separates us from God. And God loved us so much, he didn't want us to be separated. That's what love does. It wants to bring us back together into a right relationship. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. And so, so many of us have heard that so many times that it's almost like whatever. It's not whatever. It's the greatest love story ever. And you and I need to absorb that, not just in our head, but in our heart. You see, sin separates us. But when you and I cry out to Jesus Christ to save us from our sin, we become Children of God. I met with a couple a little while back who wanted to get married, and and we have a couple of covenants here at Mitchell Brian when it comes to marriage. 
One of them is that they would go through the 10 weeks of premarital counseling. We have a mentor couple that take them through that. The first year of their marriage, they have that mentor couple that will help them if they have any issues or just going through the first year of marriage. The second covenant is a purity covenant, that they would not live together, that they would not engage sexually prior to marriage, as the Bible teaches. And the third is that Christians are called to marry Christians, that they would not be unequally yoked. And so we got to talk about where are you at spiritually. And as I had this conversation with this young couple who want to get married in the fall, the young gal was struggling a little bit, and she's like, I'm not real sure. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. Many of you have heard this question. If you were to die today, and that sounds pretty morbid, right? But can we be honest? We're all going to die, and maybe it will be today. We don't know. But if you were to die today, where would you go and why? And she said, well, I, I, I would hope I would go to heaven. I mean, I've been pretty good. Church, can we be good enough to get to God? No, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? It's not about our goodness. It is about God's gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so as I shared the gospel, I said to her, I want you to go pray, and I want you to spend some time just asking God to settle that question in your heart. A couple days later, she called. An angel and I met and sat down with her, and we shared the gospel with her again, and she said, I want to pray, and I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And Friday, in an office back there, a young lady became a child of God a daughter of the king. And some of you, when I asked that question, if you were to die today, where would you go and why? You got real uncomfortable. I hope it's heaven. Do you know, do you have that assurance that, that God loves you and he sent his son to die for you? Have you accepted that free gift of eternal life? You see, here's the reality. God loves you and when you don't love yourself, you're not loving what God loves which means you're living in opposition to his words about you and his work that he did for you through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. The second thing that we see is the challenge to loving ourselves. And it is a challenge, especially in this culture, to love ourselves correctly. If you and I could learn to love ourselves rightly, our life of faith, our love for God, our love for others would absolutely explode. But you see, we live in a culture of inferiority. We live with a generation of low self-esteem. There's never been a time in our history on this planet where we have respected life as little as we do today. And why is that happening with this generation? Well, it's by and large because parents are not nurturing their children. They're not instilling unconditional love. And mostly because they don't really know what that looks like. And I think there's a couple of challenges for us when it comes to loving ourselves. And one of them is that we listen to the trash instead of listening to truth. Many of us today are listening to lies instead of listening to the Lord. Now, our self-esteem is built off of our internal feelings generated by what we see and hear around us. And our self-esteem and our self-image are formed at a fairly young age, during childhood, based on feedback from important people in our life, like our parents, our peers, 
and other significant people that speak into our lives, like teachers. And can I take a moment to say thank you to our teachers as we get towards the end of this school year. And we've all heard the jokes. I live with them every day. Preachers work one day a week. Teachers, they only work nine months out of the year. It's an easy job. I don't think many of us could last three months, let alone nine. Teachers instill esteem and love into children's lives. Most of you know that I went to boarding school. And I have dyslexia. And I was fortunate enough to have a man in my life, a teacher, named Mr. Ashland. Mr. Ashland was the one who helped me work through the struggles I had with reading and spelling and all of the issues that come with dyslexia. And I'll never forget him sitting me down, looking me in the eye, and saying this, Giles, you're not stupid. You're one of the smartest kids I know. You have a disability, but you are not stupid. Don't ever believe that lie. Now, my mama grew up, she had dyslexia, and she was told she was stupid. You and I need to understand that when we raise our kids in an environment where there is praise, where there is respect, where they are listened to, when we have time for them, where there is affection, where there is love, where there are hugs, they grow up with healthy self-esteem. But when we raise kids in an environment where they're yelled at, where they're beat down, an environment where they're ignored and ridiculed and bored off with stuff, where they're expected to be perfect all the time, their self-esteem plummets. Let's talk about perfection and the poison of parenting out of perfection, this performance-based parenting. You know what that does to our kids? What happens when they fail? And at some point they will fail. Maybe it's a grade. Maybe it's in sports. But they're going to fail. Here's what happens in performance-based parenting. We withhold that love because they didn't perform. And this is what happens in our kids' hearts. They don't look at it and say, I failed. They say, I'm a failure. And there is a huge difference between I failed and I am a failure. And so our kids spiral down. Now, we are living in a generation where we're shifting from a performance-based parenting, and there's still a lot of that going on, to this helicopter parenting where we're constantly hovering over our kids. And what we're communicating to them is you can't handle anything and i got to handle everything for you. What does that do to your self-esteem? You ever stood under a helicopter? There's a lot of downdraft. It's not a lot of fun. There's a huge amount of pressure. It's just a different kind of pressure from performance-based pressure. But it's still pressure. And we've taken it a step further because it's not enough just to hover over our kids anymore. Now we've got lawnmower parents and we mow out in front of our, our kids. And teachers see this where, where parents are literally doing their kids' homework for them. And we mow a path so that there's no problems, that they'll never run into any issues. What's going to happen when our kids step out into the real world that's ugly? 
and they fail for the first time and they don't know how to process those feelings, can I encourage you parents, let your kids fail in a healthy environment. We're all going to fail. Every single one of us have had failures in our life and we're going to have more failures in our life. And sometimes we learn more from the failures than we do the successes. But you have to let them do that in a healthy way. You see, what happens to kids that, that grow up with this low self-esteem is, is they're more susceptible to bad relationships, abuse, alcohol and drugs, and other things that will destroy their lives. Because as I mentioned earlier, that self-esteem and self-image is built off of what we hear from other people at a young age, but it is perpetuated by our self-talk. What we say to ourselves. And can we be honest this morning? We all talk to ourselves and we're not crazy. Every one of you had a conversation with yourself. Probably already today. But at least one conversation that you had in your head about yourself this week. And here's the problem. Most of our self-talk is toxic. We're trashing ourselves today. We're not treasuring ourselves. We, we, we see ourselves as a mistake instead of as a masterpiece. And, and part of that is because we've heard these negative things all of our life and we perpetuate that self-talk. And so what happens with that low self-esteem and that negative self-talk is we run into these abusive relationships. Why does a young girl stay with a, a guy who's going to call her fat and ugly? Do you know what her self-talk is? You're fat and ugly. And if you're going to trash yourself, you're probably going to let other people trash yourself. But when you have that healthy view of who you are and notice it's not based on what other people say about you, it's not based on what you say about you, it is based on what God says about you. That you are created in His image. That you are loved, that you are cherished, that you are worth His Son dying for. That's where your worth is at. I've shared this story before. When I went to boarding school and I was nine, my first day at boarding school, you had to unpack your trunk. We had these big trunks. And you put all your clothes away, and then you took your trunk down to the trunk room, and it sat there all semester until summertime, the end of the school year, and then you packed your stuff up and you headed out. And so I got all my stuff unpacked, and I'm taking my trunk down in the trunk room, and I get into the trunk room, and there's a couple of kids, and, and kids can be mean, especially if they've grown up in a mean environment, especially if they've heard a, a lot of negative things towards them, their hearts have been hurt. And these kids were kind of mean. They decided to be mean to me, and they beat me up, threw me in my trunk, shut it, shoved it in the corner, piled a couple of other trunks on there, and this is what they said to me, no one will ever find you because no one likes you and no one loves you. No one cares about you. Now, can I ask you a question? Is that true? No, it's not true. But how do I know at nine years old that's not true? Well, I had two letters, two love letters in my life. And I mentioned last week that desk behind me was my mama's desk. Fifteen years ago, God called my mom home. And now she's in heaven. And that's my desk. But she used to sit at that desk and write me love letters when I was in boarding school about how much she loved me and cared for me. When I got on the plane, right before I got on the plane, she handed me a letter. Now, I read that letter on the plane, and it was a love letter. Tell me how much my mama loved me. And I knew when those kids said that, that it was a lie. 
But I also had a second love letter, this one. Because my parents read this to me, and I read it. And even at the age of nine, I knew that I was loved and cherished by God. I wasn't loved by these kids. And you're going to have some people that don't love you in your life. You're going to have some people that, don't hurt, that hurt you in your life, that are mean to you and say things and do things to hurt your heart. But you've got to come back to what is true. And many of us today, what we're doing is we're basing our life off of trash that's been said to us instead of the truth that's been spoken over us. Are you going to listen to the Lord or are you going to listen to the lies? I think a second challenge to loving ourselves is comparing ourselves with what we see in other people. And we constantly compare ourselves to other people, don't we? And it's really a false sense of esteem. Because we compare ourselves to someone who, from our perspective, is better than us, and so we feel terrible, or worse than us, and we have this inflated feeling of, of esteem that's really not true. But there are at least ten unchangeable things in your life, things that you can't change. It's the framework of your life. If you think of a picture, you can paint that picture, but the frame is the frame. And some of those are your biological parents. You didn't get to choose your parents. Your parents chose you, but you didn't get to choose your parents. And can I say this to us as parents? Your kids, they didn't choose you, but you chose them, and so you need to choose to love them and cherish them. And one of the things that breaks my heart as we get to the end of a school year is I hear this a lot today from parents. And some of them are Christian parents. Oh, it's summer and we got to deal with our kids. Like they're the plague. Your kids are a gift from God. It's like, oh, I just want the teachers to deal with them. They deal with them every day. They love your kids. And we as parents have got to start learning to love our kids. And look at summer as, man, I get more time with my kids that they're not this burden, they're a blessing. The second unchangeable, and I'm going to tell you it's controversial, didn't used to be, but what I want you to understand is there's always controversy. There's always people that want to go against God's plan. People built the Tower of Babel in opposition to God. People are constantly going to be in opposition to his word. Here's the second unchangeable, gender. And we're in a massive uproar in our country over this today. I'll never forget as a young man reading Genesis and reading these words, God made them male and female and out loud going, well, duh. You ever do that when you read the Bible? And then I said, God, why would you even put that in there? I mean, why would you state the obvious? Well, it's not so obvious today. There's confusion about that because we have an enemy that wants to come in and he wants to confuse us. And you can, you can go and, and you can change all the external parts and, and you can take hormone therapy and you can, you know, take hormones to be more masculine or more feminine. But you realize that your gender is stamped into every cell? You can't change that. It's an unchangeable. Another unchangeable in our life, physical features. But again, we'll just have plastic surgery, right? Well, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like... God, you messed up when you made me because we're not learning to value who God made when he made us. But here's the reality. You, you can't change those things, not really change them. Your personality. 
It's who God made you to be. Another unchangeable mental capacity. Your race or nationality. Your birth order. Siblings. Your time in history. Aging. Death. The unchangeables of your life. You're learning to love who you are and how God made you and the unchangeable things. Are you fighting against that? Many of us, what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to other people. We look at biological parents and maybe you're there and and there's some parents and they're always there at their kids' events. They're always loving their kids. And you look and you're like, man, I wish those were my parents. You know what it leads to? Inferiority. And we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and feeling worse and worse about ourselves or this overinflated sense of, well, I'm really something. And so it's here, number three, that we come to the challenge to loving ourselves or the caution, excuse me, to loving ourselves. As I mentioned, people will tell you that we shouldn't love ourselves, that the Bible speaks against that. What the Bible's speaking against is overly or underly loving yourself instead of properly loving yourself. And Paul actually addresses this issue in a famous passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about spiritual gifts. And he says that every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And God gives us that gift. And when we really value ourselves and we value the gifts that he gives us, we use those to serve other people, not for selfishness. You can always tell the difference between someone who has a proper sense of self-love and someone who has a warped sense of self-love. People with a proper sense of self-love serve. People with a warped sense of self-love are selfish. And so God gives us these gifts so that we can serve one another. And Paul illustrates it, the body of Christ in the way of a physical body. Some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, some of you are feet, some of you are hands, We need people that can hear. We need people that can see. We need people that can move us forward. We need people that can be the hands of Jesus Christ. We need all those different parts of the body, and we need to value each other. But Paul goes on, and most of us have missed this because because we're focused on the spiritual gifts, and we should focus on that, but we miss the message in there. You see, Paul goes on to talk about people that underlove themselves. I'm going to read that to you, 1 Corinthians 12, 15 and 16. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Well, I'm not as good as you. That's that putting ourselves down, not valuing who God made us and the gifts that he's given us. And you probably love yourself, underlove yourself, love yourself too little. If when somebody praises you for a job well done, your first thing is to point out the flaws and the things you didn't get done. Some of us do that. If there is a decision that is needing to be made in the organization in which you work, but you're not going to give input because you don't think that what you have to say has any value, not because other people have said that, but because you believe that about yourself, you probably love yourself too little. Paul goes on to talk about the flip side of that, and it's just as dangerous, and that is overly loving ourselves. And he says this in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. 
And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And you probably love yourself too much if you dominate the discussion because you think you have all the answers and you know it all. If you've made a commitment but you break it because something else comes along that's better from your perspective, whether that's a commitment at home, at church, or at work, when you constantly compare yourself to other people and you're constantly telling yourself and others, I'm just as good or better than they are. Let me try to help illustrate that using a basketball. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little tough here. I'm going to ask you to imagine that you are a basketball. Aren't you thankful for how God created you? All of a sudden, that comparison, right? But imagine that you are this basketball. What's the purpose and the goal of a basketball? What's it here for? To represent the sport, right? When you see a basketball, you immediately know basketball, football, football, soccer, soccer ball. You instantly know this is what it is representing, right? The second purpose of this basketball is to bring enjoyment to those it was created to, to serve. Can I ask you, what's the purpose of a Christian? to represent the Savior? Do people, when they see you, instantly go, Jesus, I know, I, know that, I know what you represent. I know who you represent. You're a Christ one. But you see, the second purpose of a Christian is to bring enjoyment to those around us that we were created to serve, right? Now, everybody knows this, except the patriots, that you are supposed to, that was for Anthony, you're supposed to go ahead and properly inflate whatever ball you use for your sport, right? <clears throat> what happens when we don't? We got issues, right? Now, I want you, you're this basketball, I want you to think about the air, the proper inflation in here as the right amount of love. What happens when we underlove ourselves or overlove ourselves? Well, what happens when we underly love ourselves? You're constantly having to bend down to play the sport, right? Doesn't work so good. What happens when we got too much air in our life? This over sense of I'm super important. It's kind of a little harder to play, right? Because you can't dribble very well. The ball, you're constantly trying to bring it down. And there are some of us today that have underloved ourselves because we've stopped seeing ourselves the way that, that God sees us. But some of us have overloved ourselves in the sense of we're starting to try to gain our worth from, oh man, I got this gift and I'm this and my church is this big and da 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 da, da whatever it is, and, and, and we're starting to swell up. Now, whether you're under-loving yourself or overly loving yourself, what happens when that basketball has too much air or not enough air? It doesn't just affect you. It affects all of the people that you were created to serve. It affects everybody else. If we were to go out and go down to the Y and we were going to go ahead and have a game of basketball and we used either one of these, it wouldn't be long before it became a huge annoyance and a problem to all the people around us because we really can't play the game. And that's what's happening in some of you in your marriages, with your parenting, in your work environments. And so it's here that we come lastly to the commitment 
to love yourself? Are you committed to loving yourself in a biblical, healthy way? When we go back to those unchangeables, are there any of those things that you would want to change? The makeover movement would say you should change whatever you want to change. But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to make you happier. It's not going to make you healthier. It's not going to give you the right esteem in your life. It's not going to inflate your life correctly. And there are some of us that we're trying to change things that that God set in motion because that's who he made us to be. And what we're saying is, God, you messed up when you made me. God, I'm ungrateful. I'm not thankful for who you made. And I'm constantly criticizing your work. Every time I look in the mirror and I point out all of my faults, I'm basically trashing your work. I'm telling you that, that you really didn't do a good job when you made me, that, that, that I'm, a, I'm not a masterpiece. I'm a mess. And so I want to give you a couple of practical things that we can do as we commit to rightly loving ourselves, And the first of those is this. Detect any ungratefulness towards God in your heart. Sift your heart. Is there any ungratefulness there? Things that you criticize and you complain about when it comes to you. The most loving thing that we can do is to see ourselves for who we are and where we are. And if you are outside of Jesus Christ, then you are a sinner in need of a Savior. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Start seeing yourself as a saint. Not from a prideful perspective, but that's how Jesus sees you. And most of us, most of us today, we're like the prodigal son. We're, we're trying to come up with some alternative uh, workaround to God's initial plan. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I'm now scum. I'll be a servant, right? No, you're still a child of God, no matter what you've done. And you've got to come back and you've got to confess those things and you've got to allow God to forgive you. The next thing I think is important is to thank God for the way that he made you. A verse that has always uh, caused me to have a healthy view of myself has been Isaiah 45, 9. What sorrow awaits those who argue with the Creator? Does a pot, clay pot argue with its maker? Does the pot dispute with the one who shaped it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? When you and I value God as the potter and us as the clay, and we're okay with him molding and shaping our lives the way that he wants to shape and mold our lives, not the way that we want it to be. Then we have this healthy view of ourselves and this healthy love, and what it does is it allows us to set healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries in relationships so that we're not constantly in toxic relationships, but also healthy boundaries for ourselves. To where we take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And and some of us, we're trashing ourselves today. We're trashing our bodies. We're trashing our minds. We're allowing ourselves to watch a whole bunch of garbage that's going in and damaging us. Are you keeping track of what you're allowing into your mind? You're taking every thought captive? Some of us physically, we're not doing a very good job taking care of ourselves. And, and part of it is we, don't, we feel this emptiness in our life because we don't feel loved. And so what do we do? We go to the fridge. We don't go to God the Father. And it's killing us. Some of us, we're not taking care of ourselves spiritually. We're not feeding on the Word of God. 
We're not taking care of ourselves emotionally. There are times in your life you need to cry. I'm not a tend to not be a very emotional guy, but man, I'm telling you, when you go through loss, you need to grieve those losses. You need to be able to, to have some excitement in your life. You need to be happy. And there's a big difference between happiness and excitement. Happiness is based on what's happening. Excitement is the anticipation. It's like kids the night before Christmas, they can't sleep. Nothing's happened yet. It's the anticipation of something happening. Do you have any anticipation in your life? Do you have any excitement built into your life? Can I tell you something? Self-care is not selfish. And we've bought into this lie today that we're supposed to trash ourselves for God. (laughs) That's not what God says. If you're a treasure, then stop trashing yourself. Take care of yourself. Moms, I know that we had Mother's Day last week, and you've moved on. We need to switch Pastor Appreciation Month and Mother's Day. We need to have Mother's Month and Pastor Appreciation Day. That's how I would change the calendar, okay? That means, no, you don't have to buy her flowers every day, but yes, breakfast in bed every day through May. Right, moms? Now, here's the thing. A lot of moms don't take care of themselves because they're so busy taking care of everybody else. There's a lot of pastors, those of you pastors that listen in, you're not taking care of yourself because you're trying to take care of everybody else. But I'm telling you, self-care is not selfish. It always amazes me when I get on a plane to fly somewhere, they go through first thing they get you on the plane, first thing that they do is they tell you all the worst-case scenarios, right? And then you're sitting there going, why am I on this thing, right? In case we land on water at 500 miles an hour. It's called concrete at that point, people. They're under your chair somewhere. Dig around under there. There's G-force on you. You can't get to it. But anyway, there's a life vest. You'll be fine. They tell you stuff like that. They tell you how to buckle your seatbelt. Have, have you ever wondered about, like, if you can't figure out how to buckle and unbuckle your seatbelt, how did you get through the airport? I mean, why are they telling us this kind of stuff? And then they say this, in case of a loss of cabin pressure, like when your ears explode, oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling. Put yours on first before you help the people around you. Why is that good advice? Because what's going to happen when you're struggling and you can't breathe? and there's no oxygen, and you're trying to help everybody else, you're going to die, right? Are you good to anybody else when you're dead? And how many of us are killing ourselves today trying to help everybody else? It is okay to put your oxygen mask on. You need that oxygen. You need that time. You need that love. What happened to Elijah after he got that letter from Jezebel? Hate mail. You've got hate mail, Elijah. I'm going to open my hate mail. Oh, no, I'm hated. And he goes off, and, he, and he's just depressed, right? Suicidal. Just want to die now. That's what hate mail, that's what people speaking hate into your life. But didn't he just experience God pouring down fire from heaven? But see, sometimes you start listening to the lies of other people more than the Lord. And so what's God's solution to people that are run out and run over and haven't taken care of themselves? He says this very simply to Elijah. Elijah, you need to eat and sleep. That's God's big plan. You need to eat and sleep. Why would he say that? Because he knows how he created you. And you need to take care of yourself. And for some of you, you need to eat, you need to sleep. And then he calls him to the mountain of God and he says, Elijah, I want you to come away and I want you to listen to me for a while because you've been listening to the trash instead of the truth. And then he sends him right back out into the war. You and I are in a war. And we need to understand that self-care is not 
selfish. Put yourself back on the potter's wheel. Man, isn't it amazing how we want to pull back from God? Instead of allowing his hands to shape our life. And I want to encourage you, just allow God to do the work that he's going to do. And sometimes as I've watched potters work, they put a lot of pressure. And other times it's just real light pressure. And sometimes God's going to allow a lot of pressure in your life. And it's not going to feel good. But he's going to be molding your character and shaping you to become more like Jesus Christ. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Be patient with yourself. Stop beating yourself up. Be kind to yourself. Because the last thing that I want to share with you is this. Purpose to cooperate with God as he completes your character to become more like Christ. Stop fighting God. Work with him, not warring against him. You see, here's the thing. We're going to fail. We will. But there's forgiveness. And if you and I would come and confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. The question is this, you're going to forgive yourself. And many of us are walking around today with the same failures that we had 10 years ago. We're defined by our failures instead of our Father's forgiveness. Why? Because our Father's forgiveness, we just haven't forgiven ourselves. We have not internalized that forgiveness. I'm not talking about being flippant with forgiveness. I'm talking about really, truly confessing your sins, coming clean, getting honest with God, and allowing Him to forgive you, and then choosing to walk in forgiveness instead of in failure. So I want to come back to that first question. Do you... Love yourself. And why does that matter? Because it will be the limiting factor in your life for loving God and loving everybody else. And for some of you, you have a limited love for your spouse because you have a limited love for yourself. You have a limited love for your kids because you have a limited love for yourself. You have a limited love for the coworker and the people that, that you see as just an annoyance and an interruption in your life because you have a limited love for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us to internalize these truths. For we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.